So the Jews believe in saints. So it depends on what you mean when you say the word saints. Judaism does believe, as we're going to see, that some people can rise above the rest of the people and create a unique relationship with God that most people don't have. We refer to such a person as a tzaddik. Tzaddik literally, probably best translation is a righteous person. Um, or a tzaddiket would be feminine. A righteous person. But it doesn't just mean that they do the right thing. It's more than that. It's someone who has achieved a unique relationship with Hashem. Now, unlike other religions who may worship saints, in Judaism we do not worship any people, God forbid. Um, we believe in only one God, and that God is infinite and of absolute power. And Hashem controls everything that happens in this universe. And nothing else has control independent of Hashem, including people who have a unique relationship with Him. Everyone is ultimately controlled, and everything is ultimately controlled by Hashem, and nothing is independent of Him. So as the only and ultimate power, we only worship Hashem and nothing else, certainly no one else. So in that sense, we do not believe in saints in the sense of worshiping saints. But we do believe that, uh, and we, we further believe that Hashem is infinite. So as being infinite can easily connect to each and every single person, doesn't need any, um, any intermediaries to connect to anyone, to hear our prayers, to answer us. Hashem is invested in each and every single person. If He created us, He has a purpose and goal for each of us, and each of us have an open channel with Him. And yet, we do believe that there are some people who are tzaddikim, holy or saintly individuals, who do build a unique relationship with Hashem that most regular people do not have. Now this concept of tzaddikim, <coughs> excuse me, of unique people <coughs> that have a unique relationship with Hashem, goes all the way back to the very beginning of Judaism, to Moses, to Moshe Rabbeinu. It really goes back even further to our patriarchs, but for our purpose today, we'll begin with Moshe. It goes back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, the Torah tells us that following the Exodus and the splitting of the sea, the Torah says, The people believed in Hashem, and they believed in Moshe. What did they believe? They believed that Hashem exists, that Hashem took them out of Egypt, that Hashem is all-powerful and can overcome even the greatest powers, like Pharaoh can do anything that he wants and is in control of everything. What did they believe about Moshe? Torah doesn't say. But it's clear from the Torah that what they believed about Moshe is that Moshe is Hashem's messenger. And Moshe is Hashem's representative, the one standing, as Moshe himself later describes it, who stood between God and the people. The one who brought Hashem's messages to the people who brought Hashem's instructions to the people. Although Hashem spoke to all the people directly, we spoke about that a few, few weeks ago, how we believe that every single 
Jew, every single member of Israel who stood at Mount Sinai got to hear Hashem speaking and got to hear the Ten Commandments. However, the bulk of the commandments we got through Moshe. We did not get directly. The instructions throughout the 40 years in the desert, we got through Moshe. So clearly Moshe had this unique role of standing between Hashem and the people. Now that doesn't mean that in any way the people were encouraged to worship Moshe. God forbid. Uh, Moshe was just a human being. However, a human being that had a unique relationship with Hashem and could therefore relay to the people Hashem's instructions and can also pass on the people's requests, requests and questions to Hashem. Although Hashem can hear a request and question of the people directly and may have ways of conveying information to people directly, and he did at times, but generally the people communicated with Hashem through Moshe. And more importantly, Hashem communicated with the people through Moshe as a unique individual. So, so one of the central pillars then of Jewish belief is not just that we believe in the Torah, not just that we believe that Hashem gave us the Torah, but we believe in Moses as having a unique role in, as the one through which Hashem gave the Torah. And indeed, Maimonides counts Moshe and the belief in Moshe as having this unique role in giving us the Torah as one of the 13 principles of our faith. Because without it, we wouldn't believe in the entire Torah. So, the, um, so therefore, central to Judaism is not just belief in God, not just belief that God gave the people the Torah, but also the belief that Hashem gave us the Torah through Moshe, and Moshe had a unique relationship with Hashem in which Hashem regularly communicated with him and communicated the Torah to him. And Moshe then shared that Torah to us exactly as Hashem gave it to him, as Hashem's trusted messenger. And so that belief, that belief is central to Judaism, that Moshe had a unique relationship with Hashem. Now, in no way is Moshe divine, God forbid. In no way Moshe is a human being. Who was chosen by God to have this unique role? The Zohar tells us that there is a continuation of Moshe, or an Aramaic, Itpashtuta de Moshe, found in each and every generation. So even after Moshe's death, the role of Moshe continued through his successor, Joshua, and through others in that generation. And every generation has continuations, other people with a Moshe-like role. Now, no one else will ever be Moshe, because once Moshe died, the Torah is sealed, and we are told we will not have any new commandments. The Torah will never change. That's another fundamental belief in Judaism, that once the Torah was given, it will never change. However, um, it is... However, once Moshe, however, after Moshe's death, we did continue having Moshe-like people continuously throughout Jewish history. People who have a unique relationship with Hashem. People whom Hashem can communicate to in a more open way than he communicates to the average person. And people who can then communicate back to Hashem in a more open way than the average person can communicate to Hashem. Uh, can communicate to Hashem. 
So these people we refer to as tzaddikim, plural. Tzaddik meaning righteous or saintly person. Tzaddik would be, or tzaddiket would be a feminine for a woman, man or woman, who has a unique role, a unique relationship with Hashem. Now, there could be two types of tzaddikim. There can be what we call revealed tzaddikim and hidden tzaddikim, tzaddikim nistari. Often tzaddikim will be Jewish leaders who are widely recognized in their role in connecting the people with Hashem. Widely recognized for their communication with Hashem. Widely recognized for their deeper vision. And we'll soon talk about exactly what a tzaddik does and how they do it. But people who have, there are often Jewish leaders who are widely recognized as being tzaddikim. Tzaddikim can also, though, be quiet, unassuming people who others around them don't realize their uniqueness. Hidden tzaddikim. Now, we have had tzaddikim, at least tzaddikim that we knew about, almost always in the form of known Jewish leaders who were heads up above everybody else, unique individuals, not just unique scholars and unique leaders with leadership qualities, but people who had other unique tzaddikim, tzaddik qualities that we'll speak about in a moment. Throughout, We've had this throughout the generations. And uh, we can point to various people who were identified as tzaddikim throughout all of Jewish history. Three, just under 300 years ago, Rabbi Yisrael Bar Shem Tov began the Hasidic movement. We've spoken about Hasidism and Hasidus a number of times before. We've had classes dedicated to Rabbi Yisrael Bar Shem Tov, to Hasidus. So Rabbi Yisrael Bar Shem Tov began the, the Bar Shem Tov began the Hasidic movement, and the Hasidic movement placed a very strong emphasis on tzaddikim, on the role of tzaddikim and the importance of tzaddikim. And therefore, there have been many, many Hasidic groups. Hasidim uh, uh, divide into various different groups. And most Hasidic groups are led by a tzaddik, usually referred to as a rebbe. A rebbe is Yiddish for teacher. Um, and so they're led by a tzaddik or a rebbe who the chassidim are drawn to an individual who has a unique relationship with Hashem. So what exactly is a tzaddik? And how does the tzaddik differ from regular people? So Hasidic teachings explain that based on the teachings of Kabbalah of the Arizal, that every person has two sides to them, two souls. Every person is made up of two souls, a godly soul and an animal soul. And about six months ago, you may recall, we did a class on the two sides in every person. But we have a godly side and an animal side. The animal side is self-centered. It's our self-centered conscious self. The way we tend to think of ourselves. We tend to think about what we need, what we want, what we would like. And as we do different things or as we want different things, we want it to further enhance ourselves. 
whether a very primitive instant gratification, I like it, so I'm going to taste it. I like it, so I'm going to try it, I'm going to do it. So it could be a very primitive instant gratification. It could be a more sophisticated long-term quest for happiness or long-term quest for success or wealth or honor or recognition. Some form of personal advancement. And that is the way the human conscious self generally works. We are self-centered. You can think of it, and we described it back then when we spoke of the two souls, as a person lives in a universe that revolves around the core of themselves. I am at the center of my universe. And everything I do ultimately is for me. What am I going to get out of it? What am I going to gain from it? How is it going to help me? How is it going to further my happiness? How is it going to further my success? How is it going to further my life goals and mission, whatever I set that as? How is it going to further um, my uh, social acceptance, uh, my fame, my honor, or whatever other things that I may be seeking? It's all about what is it going to do for me? And we all live in this bubble where we live in a world where we stand at the core. And that is because our conscious selves is an animal soul. An animal soul that sees ourselves at the center of our own universe. We can empathize with other people. We can understand that other people also live in their own world, have their own universe with themselves at the core. And we understand that if I'm nice to you, you'll be nice to me. We'll be a lot... We'll be a lot more successful if we work with others and if we work for ourselves, but ultimately, enhancing myself is my ultimate goal. Then, however, we have another soul with us. This is what we call a godly soul. Now, we're not conscious of our godly soul. We're not aware of the godly soul. The godly soul is a soul of being within ourselves that is aware of God, aware of ourselves being part of this absolute infinite being, aware that we were placed here on this earth as God's agents with a distinct mission and purpose and goal to fulfill. And our goal in life is therefore not to see 50 places before we die or to run a, tri- or to run a triathlon or to run 100 marathons, or whatever else people may think their goals may be, get a hole in one. But our purpose in life is to fulfill the mission for which Hashem placed us on. That is the recognition of the godly soul. However, that godly soul is not conscious. We're not con- It's there inside of us, but we are not conscious of it. It lives in our subconsciousness. But it does have a very strong impact on us. It impacts us because it makes us, it gives us spurts every once in a while of the need to go beyond ourselves. Of the need to step out and say, you know what, life's not about me. What am I here for? Why does God want me to be here? What am I supposed to be doing? And we get these moments of inspiration when we're inspired to step beyond ourselves, and then, but it's subconscious, so it doesn't stay. 
And then we sink back into our conscious, self-centered selves, our animal soul. It also is very impactful, our godly soul, because our godly soul is our moral compass. It knows right from wrong. It tells you, don't do that, it's the wrong thing to do. But it will help me, it will enhance me, it's good for me to do this. Doesn't matter, it's the wrong thing to do, don't do it anyway. And so we have this sense of guilt, doing the wrong thing. We have this drive to do, someone's in trouble, I need to help them. But you're going to harm yourself helping them. But I need to help them, we have this drive, we need to help them. That's coming from our subconscious godliness. So it's there, it impacts us, making us want to do the right thing, keep away from doing the wrong thing, inspires us to step beyond ourselves, but it just impacts us subconsciously. We're never conscious of it. So we always, it's temporary, it's fleeting, and we revert back to our conscious animal soul. That's the way in general people function. Our lives are therefore a constant battle between our animal soul our self-centered being that always wants to enhance ourselves and our godly soul that is constantly inspiring us and pushing us to step beyond ourselves, to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, to keep away from the wrong thing because it's wrong. And so our lives are a constant battle between our animal soul, our conscious animal soul, and our subconscious godly soul. This is just very brief. We did a class about this. Um, about six months ago, about the two souls. And um, I encourage you, if you want to learn more, to go back and listen to the podcast from that class. So that's the way most people live, exist. A tzaddik is a different kind of person. A tzaddik, we believe, is somebody who is conscious of their godly soul. They are conscious of their God-centered self. They are aware of God's existence. We are aware, regular people, of our own existence. I know I exist. How do you know? I just do. I know I'm here and I know by extension everything I see and experience exists as well. How do you know that? Well, if you start getting philosophical, you start wondering, maybe I don't exist. And we will hopefully soon do a class on whether we do or we don't exist. But that's a subject of its own. Whether we do or we don't exist. I think we have one scheduled. So, um, so, we, so, 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 so we think of ourselves, because we just know that we, we're here. We just know we are. We don't see God's existence. We're told God exists, but we don't feel it. The tzaddik is aware of their godly soul. So they are aware, consciously aware of God's existence. Consciously aware of spirituality. Consciously aware of their own life mission. That their goal is not to further themselves, but their goal is to fulfill the purpose for which God placed them on earth. They're consciously aware of this godly side inside them. They may have an animal soul. They may have a self-centered soul as well. They take care of themselves. They eat. They sleep. They live regular lives. They're humans. But they have this deeper awareness of God and of their life mission and of the goal and purpose of everyone. How we're all agents of God. Such a tzaddik is a person with this great spiritual awareness. A spiritual awareness that regular people are not aware of. 
They might be regular people, but their drive in life, what drives them when they wake up in the morning, it's their godly soul that sees their goal and their mission and their purpose, their awareness of God. This sense of spirituality gives them a relationship with God and a spirituality that most people never experience. So how does one become a tzaddik? So you could be born a tzaddik with a natural awareness of God and spirituality. Alternatively, a person can be born like almost all other people with only awareness of their animal soul and a subconscious godly soul and struggle with the two sides within them just like everybody else does. After overcoming their animal soul consistently and constantly inspiring themselves to focus on God and God's purpose for them and God's mission for them, constantly making themselves aware of their godly soul, Hashem can then gift them and make them aware of their godly soul. Give them the gift of becoming a son. It can only come as a gift from God. It's not something that you can achieve on your own. Either you have it or you don't. But sometimes Hashem gives it to people from birth, naturally. Sometimes people, after a lifetime of struggle, they can then reach this point where they become aware of their godly soul. But the vast majority of people never get this awareness. They just continue with life's battle between their two souls. For their entire life, then, when we spoke about the two souls, we pointed out that life is just a constant battle. It never ends. You keep battling. Life is just a battle between these two sides within you until the day you die. You're always battling. The battle never ends. Except unless you get this gift from God and you get this sudden awareness of your godly soul. Once you're consciously aware of your godly soul, the battle becomes easy. Why would you focus on yourself and your own personal enhancement and your own what I need for myself and what I want for myself if I see my greater purpose, I see my greater mission and goal in life? So tzaddikim are very, very rare. The Midrash tells us that Hashem planted a handful of tzaddikim in each generation. They're extremely rare. There always will be tzaddikim, but they're very, very, very rare. Does a tzaddik know that they're tzaddiks? Yes, a tzaddik will know that they'll be consciously aware of... They'll be consciously aware of, um, God, of their godly soul. Even the hidden ones? Even the hidden tzaddikim. Hidden tzaddikim just means we don't know. They're not public. They they're not public figures, yes. So why does Hashem create such people? What is the purpose of these people? Why does Hashem create them? So we believe that every person is placed on earth with a mission to make our world more godly. Each person has a unique mission to build a relationship with Hashem and transform the universe around us to make it more godlike. And we fulfill this mission by following his commandments. For Jews, that is 613 commandments that he commanded us in the Torah. And for all people have the Noahide universal commandments that Hashem commanded all people. This process, our fulfilling our mission of making ourselves 
and the world around us more godly is referred to as birur nitzotzot, refining sparks. In other words, refining our universe, making it more godly. Or sometimes it's also referred to as tikkun, tikkun, enhancing our world. So each person, Kabbalah teaches, has a tikkun. The tikkun is not necessarily a single thing you have to do, but it is a lifetime of effort, a lifetime of work, a lifetime of things that you will come across throughout your life, things that you will encounter, events, people, places that you will encounter that have a tikkun, something that you need to fix, something that you need to enhance, that you need to make more spiritual, more godly. And you do that and make yourself more godly by following the commandments that God had instructed us, especially when difficult, especially when faced with challenges, overcoming those challenges and doing the right thing. And as we do, we make our world more godly. However, Kabbalah tells us that the birur, this refinement, this making our universe more godly, that every person can achieve is what we call birur rishon, a first refinement, stage one. It is only stage one of refinement. Because we're finite. We don't have real awareness of God. No matter how much we do, no matter how many commandments we follow, no matter what we achieve, no matter what we learn and study, or even meditate, we will never gain true awareness of God. We will always remain far from Him. We can live a perfect life. We can work hard and always do the right thing in theory. And yet at our core, we remain driven by a nefesh habamit, an animal soul. At our core, we're self-centered people with our own wants, our own needs, we're ultimately driven for ourselves. Even if we do all the right things, we still remain self-centered, not God-centered people. Even the things that we've fixed, the things we've enhanced, the things that we've done following God's commandments, fixing things in this universe, making the universe more godly, we can only do it to a point because we remain self-centered individuals not God-centered. We can never truly connect to God, elevating ourselves and the world around us. And that is why Kabbalah teaches, Hashem creates tzaddikim in each generation. These tzaddikim are people who are aware of Hashem's presence. They are human like us, but they are created with a different awareness. They have a different, we are only aware of ourselves. We're self-conscious and conscious of our own experience. Tzaddikim are God-conscious. They're aware of God, aware of a spiritual reality that we are not aware of. So the tzaddik, who is aware of God, has the ability to connect us to the infinite that they are connected to. They then, the tzaddik, can raise up Others who don't have that awareness, but we're aware of the tzaddik, and the tzaddik is aware of God, can then raise us up 
raise up our tikkun, raise up our ourselves, that which we've enhanced ourselves, that which we've enhanced the world around us, raise it up and make it truly connected to Hashem in what Kabbalah refers to as birur sheni, the second enhancement, the second refinement. The tzaddik is a person that we can relate to, can relate to Hashem, can connect us in a way to Hashem that we can never connect ourselves. The tzaddik, with a deeper vision and awareness, can also serve as a guide. The tzaddik can see our, they see this deeper awareness, can see our mission and our purpose. We're not consciously aware of our mission and purpose. They have a deeper understanding, not only of what they should be doing, but of what we, what you and I should be doing, what other people should be doing. And so we can turn to the tzaddik to ask for guidance, how to serve God, to improve our relationship with God. The tzaddik not only can give us guidance, but can also inspire us. Seeing a God-centered universe having a God-centered, living in a God-centered reality that we regular people don't live in, that suddenly can inspire us, raise us up from our self-centered reality, help us get a better sense of the God-centered reality that we have in our subconscious, godly soul. They can inspire us to live a more God-centered life. The tzaddik can also help us with advice for material needs, for physical things we need, since they have a deeper vision that we cannot see. At Sadiq we can turn to even for things like financial advice, medical advice, or other practical advice, because they see things deeper than we see. The Sadiq also has a unique power to bless us. Every person has the power to bless. Hashem takes every person's blessings. When we wish good on somebody else, which is the definition of a blessing, Hashem always takes that seriously. But especially if it is at Sadiq, somebody who has a unique relationship with them. Similarly, just as Moshe had a unique ability to communicate with Hashem, the tzaddik also has a unique ability to communicate to Hashem. So we can ask the tzaddik to pray for us. While we can all pray to our Hashem on, for ourselves, we and Hashem listens to every prayer, we can also ask the tzaddik to pray on our behalf. Any questions? Yes, Where? How do we know if someone's a tzaddik? Very good question. We're going to get to that in a moment. Excellent question. That was my same question. Excellent. Any other questions? Yes. Is there a clear view of what a godly world would look like? Um, especially in reading Parshas recently, God acts in different ways, and like really shocking ways to, you know, to like killing a lot of people lately, and you know, there are different ways. So is, is there a clear view of what Well, I guess there's the question of what God's goal for the world is. Um, We ultimately don't know. Only Hashem knows that, right? We don't know that. The tzaddik has a deeper view than you and I, than regular, or maybe someone here is a tzaddik and I'm not aware. But the tzaddik has a deeper view than a regular person has, but doesn't necessarily see the entire picture. Um, And ultimately, only Hashem knows why he does things. And ultimately, we don't know. Uh, We've done a class previously on why bad things happen. 
of why Hashem makes bad things happen. That's really a subject of its own. Uh, but fascinating question. question. Yes, Ellie. Okay, you say we don't believe in tzaddikim, uh, like we believe in God. But we don't worship tzaddikim. We don't worship. Uh, where I come from, uh, we all the time we mention the name of the tzaddikim, or Bishom or Yochai, or Yaw Navi, or and some people even light a candle in the memory. There's the, the very good question. So we don't pray to tzaddikim, although we can ask them for blessings and ask them to pray for us. Um, we also, uh, we, and, and they do, have, we believe, have a, have a closer relationship with God than maybe the average person. Uh, but though every person we believe can speak to God directly. Um, another thing that we do that Eli points out is we invoke the zechut, the merit of a tzaddik, or any person who has done a lot of good in this world, tzaddik or not tzaddik, we can invoke their merit. Um, and that is really a different subject of what we call zuchut avot. So you, if you want to think of it, think of it as uh, you have, if your father, your parent, your grandparent did some wonderful things, and so to, to somebody else, your parent really helped someone. And then one day you're in trouble. And that person who your parent helped is in position to help you. So you go to them and you say, you know what, I'm really in a lot of trouble. I know when you needed help, my dad helped you. So as a return a favor to my dad, can you please help me? Right? So we do the same thing. It's a very common theme in Judaism. It actually is already found in the Torah itself. It's a chut avot. Where we turn to Hashem, we often invoke the patriarchs, um, we say Hashem, we may not be deserving of much good, but you know, we're grandchildren of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in their merit, because they were really good, you should help us out. So we also invoke the zechut, the merit of other righteous people, perhaps Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, or others will invoke their merit when we want Hashem's help with something. So how do we know if someone is a tzaddik? So we have no definitive way to know if someone is a tzaddik because ultimately we don't know what is in another person's heart. We don't know what another person sees. Um, only Hashem Elohim Yodea Levav, only God can know what is in someone's heart. However, there are a number of prerequisites there are a number of prerequisites for a tzaddik, um, uh, for someone to be a tzaddik. Firstly, a tzaddik must be someone who follows all the commandments meticulously. If they do not follow all the commandments meticulously, they could not possibly be a tzaddik. If they are aware of God's presence, and aware and living a God-centered reality, living in a God-centered awareness, clearly they would be following everything they're supposed to be doing, without exception. So they would be a person who is following all of God's commandments meticulously. They would also, in order to follow God's commandments and have a relationship with God, they would have to be somebody who also studies God's teachings, God's Torah. So they would be somebody who is knowledgeable in at least in God's Torah, in God's teachings. 
they also would have to be a person who does not appear to be selfish, self-centered, or driven by materialism, like most of us. They're not people who are driven by self-pleasure, fame, power, money, kind of things that drive regular people. They're not driven by that because they are aware of God and aware of God's presence. Their only goal is to serve Hashem, to do what Hashem wants. So such a person, so these are prerequisites to be a tzaddik. They must be someone who follows God's commandments meticulously, knowledgeable in God's Torah, and someone who is not driven, at least not visibly, driven by fame, power, money, things that drive regular people. Somebody who isn't really into material things, materialism, um, like regular people. Such a person who has these prerequisites could be a tzaddik. We would have little way of knowing for certain if someone's a tzaddik because we don't know what's in their mind. However, that said, we often do see people, and we have seen people throughout our history, who are clearly unique, heads and shoulders above everybody else, different, have a clear vision, have a unique view on life, have a unique drive, appear to have a relationship with Hashem that regular people don't have. And so although, again, we can never know for certain, we definitely have seen people throughout history who we can presume are tzaddikim. And we have many, many, many such examples throughout our history, um, in every generation really, of people, Jewish leaders, who were not just Jewish leaders because they had leadership qualities or because they were great scholars, but Jewish leaders who were truly saintly individuals, who were truly people who were not self-centered, who were focused on God and God's Torah, who truly had a unique vision, a unique clarity, a unique drive, a unique relationship with Hashem. And such a person we generally saw as a tzaddik, as a saintly individual. And since the only way to truly fulfill our mission, to truly connect to Hashem, is through a tzaddik, so therefore we did over the years try to find tzaddikim, people, and that's why these people rose to leadership roles within the Jewish community, who can direct us, help direct us, help connect us to Hashem. Find a person who stands above other people, not a regular person like everybody else, follows these preconditions, fills God's commandments meticulously, is a Torah scholar, is not centered on um, materialism or fame or power or honor, but is focused on fulfilling God's mission in life. See, appears to have a deeper vision than most people, a deeper, more powerful drive. Appears to see things that we don't see. Find such a person, study their teachings, listen to them, connect to them, have them inspire you, and they are able to raise us up because they see what we don't see. They have a unique relationship with Hashem. This while tzaddikim have, and public tzaddikim have existed throughout history, the Baal Shem Tov with Hasidus put a particular emphasis on the role of a tzaddik. It's important for each person to find a tzaddik, connect to a tzaddik, 
Connect to somebody who can then be their spiritual mentor, spiritual guide, and give them a unique relationship with Hashem. And that is why generally throughout the Hasidic movement, every Hasidic group has had a Rebbe, a Tilin Yiddish for teacher, um, or a Tzaddik, somebody to lead the people, somebody who stands above the people, has a unique vision, has a unique connection with Hashem, and then can connect us in a unique way to Hashem. Yes, Barry. A very good question. What is a Lamed Vavnik? So I mentioned earlier that there are known tzaddikim and there are hidden tzaddikim. So there is a midrash that says, in other words, people that are tzaddikim but are not widely known. They just they appear to as regular people, but they're unique. They have a unique vision. They're aware of their godly soul, have this awareness of God, and, um, and, and they impact people, but in a quieter way, because people aren't aware of their relationship with God, their unique relationship. There is a medrash that says that there are 36 such hidden tzaddikim in each generation. Um, exactly what that means, I guess, is subject to debate, and there is some debate as exactly what that is, really exactly 36, uh, what exactly that means. But there is, a, there is a Yiddish expression when someone sees an individual who's not well-known and well-regarded and well-respected, just a kind of a quiet, regular person. Um, but there's something unique about them. There's something special about them, something spiritually unique and spiritually special. So there's a Yiddish expression when you call, you say, that person is a Lamed Vavnik. Lamed Vav is the Hebrew. In Hebrew, we count numbers by the Hebrew alphabet. And so Lamed is 30, Vav is 6, Lamed Vav is 36. So Lamed Vavnik would be one of the 36. Um, kind of, you know, you hypothesize that, that maybe that individual is one of the 36. Again, we have no way to definitively. In our times, so who is a tzaddik? Who do we have today? Who is that tzaddik? In our times, in our generation, we had one such tzaddik that... I knew, that we knew, um, that was dedicated to Torah, meticulously kept the commandments, but was really an otherworldly person. Clearly, not only lived a life that was non-material, not self-centered at all, entirely selfless, entirely God-centered life, but appeared to have a deeper vision, a deeper vision into what God wants, a deeper understanding of our goal and purpose, a deeper vision even of the material world around us. And, such a, and that person was, was known as the Rebbe. The Rebbe, the Rebbe, um, was the leader of Chabad, which is a Hasidic movement, um, also known as Lubavitch. So he was referred to as the Lubavitch Rebbe. Um, the Rebbe um, was a person who really stood above and beyond regular people. We've done previously a class where we described the Rebbe's larger-than-life figure, a person whose entire life was dedicated to nothing other than Torah and leading the people, who inspired tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, guided people, led people, taught Torah um, throughout his life, 
And many people were drawn to the Rebbe for spiritual guidance, for life lessons, for practical advice. And the Rebbe really led and guided um, Jews, non-Jews, um, people around the world, um, regular people, leaders, uh, political leaders, um, thought leaders, um, other Jewish leaders. So the Rebbe was really in our time a probably the most known um, tzaddik uh, individual that really fits the bill, that fits this um, description. And uh, the Rebbe left us physically 29 years ago. Um, I mentioned that the 3rd of Tammuz, this coming Thursday, will be his 29th yard sign. Um, however, although the Rebbe left us physically, the Rebbe's inspiration lives on. The Rebbe's teachings were recorded by his students um, in hundreds of books of his teachings because he taught an enormous, enormous amount, giving hours-long lectures on a weekly, almost weekly basis for more than 40 years. And all of that was recorded meticulously. So we have hundreds of books of his teachings um, and tens of thousands of hours whenever he spoke when it wasn't Shabbos. Um, he would be um, taped, uh, audio taped, and later videotaped, um, tens of thousands of hours of his, um, uh, of his, of his talks videoed and his, um, and his public moments videoed. And the Rebbe really, the Rebbe's advice and teachings are still widely available. They're very, very accessible today. And so anybody can turn to the Rebbe today for inspiration. There is a website, um, that you, can, that, uh, that you can go to, Rebbe.org, that has a huge amount of the Rebbe's teachings, talks, um, life lessons. There is a website of the Rebbe's videos with tens of thousands of hours of video um, on all sorts of different subject, um, subjects. The website is gem, J-E-M, dot TV. Um, and so there are many, many, there are many books of the Rebbe's teachings um, if someone wants a place to start, I would recommend there is a book called Towards a Meaningful Life, which is the Rebbe's teachings yeah. distilled by one of his students who has been here, Rabbi Simon, many times, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Um, and uh, I, if you haven't read it yet, I would definitely encourage you to read it. But the Rebbe also guided individuals. In addition to um, teaching and inspiring and giving general guidance, the Rebbe also guided individuals when people had questions as to their role in life, as to what they should do, spiritual questions. The Rebbe guided individuals. And the Rebbe would also give people practical advice, blessings when they were in need of a blessing, in trouble, um, needed medical help, needed financial help, needed practical guidance. The Rebbe would guide people, give people real-life advice. And people followed his advice. And there are endless, there's a movement now to record an organization that's now, GEM is now recording uh, people's interactions with the Rebbe and the advice the Rebbe gave them. But the Rebbe, after his, the passing of the previous Rebbe, who was his father-in-law and also a great tzaddik, uh, who we've spoken about before, um, the Rebbe said that you can still go to his ohel, to his resting place, and you can ask, you can pray over there, ask the Rebbe for guidance, and ask the Rebbe for advice, and he will find a way to share that guidance or share those blessings with you. 
And so a person still today can go to the Ohel. The Rebbe is buried in New York and Queens. Um, and many people go. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people go. Anytime you go 24-7, um, there are people there praying. It is always crowded with people whenever you go. Um, the cold and the hot and the rain, um, there's always people there. And uh, anyone can go. Um, it's near the airport JFK. And uh, anyone can go and ask the Rebbe for advice. And if somebody is not in New York, you also have the ability to even, people would often write the Rebbe letters, to write the Rebbe a note. And the note will then be, um, as, as the Rebbe would do for his father-in-law, um, the note is then, um, is then torn and dropped into, over the Rebbe's, oh hell, over the Rebbe's resting place. And so anyone can write the Rebbe a note. You can actually, today there's a website for it. Of course, there's an app for everything. Um, you can go to ohelchabad.org, which is O-H-E-L-C-H-A-B-A-D.org. Um, and over there, there is, a, um, there is an option, write to the Rebbe. And you can write to the Rebbe over there um, and um, receive the Rebbe's blessings. So this coming Thursday will mark 29 years from when the Rebbe physically left us. So it's a really a unique time to connect to the Rebbe, to write to the Rebbe, to study his teachings. And I encourage you all to do so, to take a moment, go to um, the website, Rebbe.org, and um, learn more about him. Um, the Rebbe.org. Thank yeah, you. The Rebbe.org. There's a different one. Okay, the Rebbe.org, or I think it feeds to our website, jccmb.com forward slash Rebbe. Um, at therebbe.org. Thank you for the correction. You go to therebbe.org um, or you can um, and, or purchase the books. We have them in our store. Or you can get them online um, of, of the Rebbe's teachings. Um, watch clips of his teachings. They have a lot on therebbe.org um, as well as on gem.tv. Um, and write a, write. And ask the Rebbe for blessings. If you need blessings, if you need advice, write to the Rebbe's Ohel, which you can do again on that website, um, ohelchabad.org. So that's a very special moment, a very special day. Um, and I encourage you all to make that connection with the Rebbe.